Welcome to the Quarantini. Welcome to the Quarantini. Welcome to the Quarantini. <laughs> Should we start? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam. And this is the Quarantini. We've been bringing you this podcast every week since April to keep your spirits up. Every episode, we bring you a mix of indigenous responses to the virus, creative ideas for the future, an in-depth interview, and maybe a dash of the unexpected. And also a bit of music, um, beginning with this opening theme, Hot Flu by the fantastic band The Old Bones Collective. A big thank you to Sev Gutierrez for partnering the Quarantini from the very beginning with this music. We do love them. Hello and welcome back. And coming up in the show in this episode, we have an interview. Yes, we'll have an interview with a fantastic cultural journalist, music journalist, specifically based in Paris. Very exciting. And we have our usual roundup. And then we'll have music as well, Pommy. And this time we've decided to pick up a song that was one of our favourite this year. You'll see at the end of the episode. Or you'll hear actually at the end of the episode. So tell us about our interview. Yes, for the last interview of the year, I thought we'd be kind of wrapping up, right, some of our feelings. And I really wanted to talk about certain things like living through two lockdowns and um, the UK where we are and Paris, my hometown. Also about the creative industries, you know, it's like a very important thing for me and for you actually as well, Pommy, and especially music. So I thought, who better than the French, Scottish, Paris-based music journalist Marjorie Hash? As you might guess in this interview, Marjorie is also one of my best friends and we know each other very well and we write to each other every day. So I've been monitoring a lot of the situation in France through her eyes, ears and brain. So I called her from Bristol in her home in North East Paris before she travels to Scotland for the end of the year. And we discussed how she resisted this year's challenges with style and wit and talent and charm. Hello, Marjorie. Hello, Melissa. So nice to have you with us. Lovely to be here. <laughs> so to introduce you to our listeners, you are a fantastic journalist, especially a music journalist and culture. You've worked for um, television for a while for France 24 in Paris. You're also French and Scottish and you studied in, um, in Scotland for your training when you were younger. You've lived in between the two countries for years and you've also obviously worked in um, other parts of news and in radio a lot. You had your own radio show. So I wanted to talk to you because obviously it's been a very difficult year for musicians, for artists, for journalists. And you've been in lockdown in, in Paris this year. First, I'm going to ask you, what was the differences between the first and the second lockdown? Did you feel like that people in Paris were more resilient the second time around or actually the opposite? Mm, a mixed bag. It depends on who you talk to. The first lockdown, it was a surprise, but part of me really enjoyed it because suddenly as a freelancer, I didn't have this fear of being guilty of not work, looking for work or not making money. And so I was able to indulge in passion projects that 
I'd been working on on and off, but I hadn't been doing anything for about six months. And so I kind of delved back into them. And so there was a part of me that was really happy that had all this excuse not to to be looking for this paid work I didn't care about or uh, having to meet up with lovely friends. And as lovely as that is, that also takes you away from sometimes, you know, your, your passionate work. So there's a part of me that really enjoyed it for like, say, the first six weeks. And lockdown in Paris was a lot stricter than I think lockdown in the UK. You know, we had to go out with forms called attestation that had to be filled in and uh, you were only allowed out for a one hour walk. So it was very limiting and that I found very, really hard. And gradually it was getting quite difficult living alone and not seeing anyone apart from the supermarket clerk. And then the second time round, I found it personally very depressing <laughs> because I thought that, you know, I felt like my life had been on standby for a while and I was like, when is it going to pick up? And my life's, you know, disappearing and, you know, I'm getting older and, you know, I'm getting you know, all those questions that you kind of think about. And then the idea of not being able to move physically, I also realised that I need to move physically. My dream right now is to go to a club and dance a lot and to go to a concert, but to dance and really move my body. And I realised that movement in my body is super important to my well-being. So I was very down about the second lockdown, even though there was still a bit more movement that was possible and I was able to do some work and so on. It was just such a weird time because even before this 2020 situation, I'd already few years preceding them I'd been trying to slow down I'd been quite a workaholic earlier on in my career so it's it's been a very uh, mixed back it's kind of the moment when I was ready to like launch back my life and you know the world came to standstill I think that's how I I would describe 2020. Yeah of course and I just said you were a music journalist you've been a music journalist for years you're one of the most passionate music journalists I know genuinely enjoying music and you you were going to maybe five gigs a week when things were normal so how did you transition you had to give up on a lot of opportunities to cover events festivals and also how do you keep up with artists without any sort of like normal music life? Oh it's weird to because like sometimes like when people ask me where do I find my new music and then I never know how to answer that because some of it it's you know following bands or artists that I like who recommend other things you know or you know friends whose music tastes like trust there's also luck you know stumbling across stuff and it's really always hard to, to tell and you know I used to like find new music a lot going to gigs and looking at support acts sometimes it's I was even more interested in the support act than uh, the main act, bizarrely. And uh, so I kind of, it's funny, guys, I listened to a lot of old music, but then there was a lot of new acts that I really enjoyed as well. So I think the listening to music side is, you know, still there. But there's so much, if you know, if you go through the internet and so on, so you can, you know, listen to stuff forever. But then I also got back into lots of old music and stuff that I hadn't really explored, you know, like bands that, you know, everyone used to talk about. And I'd be like, mm, okay, I'll go and check them out one day and I kind of took the time and some I really didn't like and they're very you know big bands and they confirmed they didn't like them um not in a bad way it's, it's not that I don't like them it's that I fail to connect with them I think that's the term I want to use but yeah so it's it's weird I feel like there's a part of me that disconnected a little bit not completely and then because then when I go back to interviewing bands or looking up new music I still get that excitement but then, of course, you, you have your own TV show or you're part of a big music show and then you had to interview artists over online platforms. How was that yeah. for you? 
then you, you had no yeah, one yeah. in your studio. So I, I felt like it, it was not your favorite thing, right? No, no, absolutely. I think it was really difficult to have to interview bands and artists over Zoom and the internet. And uh, very quickly during the first lockdown, I already got quite bored of, you know, having Zoom drink sessions or, you know, Zoom meetings with friends. I think they were quite depressing. I prefer an old style phone call. But that's just me. But yeah, so it was weird. So initially it was like, okay, this is temporary. We can deal with it. The advantage was, was, for example, that you could interview a Zimbabwean rapper in Australia at uh, 4 p.m. And that wasn't a problem. Whereas before, like, it was very, it was quite strict. Like, I had to have a guest in the studio with me. My main guest always had to be physically there. So that was always a bit of more of a challenge when I was trying to book, an, uh, you know, a musician to come in. And whereas there, there were endless possibilities. And I interviewed some really great artists, you know, from uh, Thurston Moore to Kelly Lee Owens, you know, just to name a few and yeah so there's, there's advantages in that you could just do it but it's not the same because what I like when I interview people is the the trap is actually the conversation we have before the interview which is often very important because that's when you kind of um, set about the certain trust between you and the person you're interviewing and you get to know them and that I really miss because that's the part I actually enjoy the most it's the all the before and after and then when it's a tv show because it's kind of done in life, a life situation, you know, 12 minutes of a show is not a long time to get a lot out of someone. So I find it very important to try and, you know, have a really good conversation with someone beforehand. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There is one moment when we kind of, after lockdown in September, where I was able to have a guest live on the show and she's done TV before, but not that much. And I think she was a bit nervous and it was so good that we chatted just before because then she relaxed very quickly when we did the interview. So yeah, so those new mediums, I mean, I don't want to do that forever. And uh, that's my personal point of view. I feel like it's taken away the thing I like the most about the conversation. And of course, we don't know when this is going to come back. I've followed a lot of artists here in the UK who have plans to tour from March. I find that a bit difficult as a music lover or as a concert goer or festival goer to just trust that and book my ticket for a festival even in the next spring. And also Paris is a very cultural city, right? I'm, I'm from Paris as well. We've shared so many festivals together, actually. Yes. How is it possible to imagine such a city at a complete standstill? For me, even in Bristol, it was one of the hardest part, like no cultural event, nowhere. Even the galleries and museums now are totally closed. Did you feel that Paris was resilient, that people kept a good mood? It's probably the first time in your life that Paris is so bizarrely deprived of events. <laughs> Well, I think what makes Paris is the, the cultural, be the cultural centre from the museums to the venues, the theatre and so on. So the fact that all that was closed, I mean, what was the point of being in Paris sort of thing? I think a lot of people felt like that. That's why there's a lot of movement of people moving out to other cities in France and not wanting to be in there. And they feel like they can work over their laptops from anywhere in the world. I don't know how long that's going to last, that sort of sense that you could work from anywhere in the world. Maybe, maybe not. I think you do need human contact and working from home is, is good for some things and not so much for others. But like, I think what was quite nice in the lockdown is going for walks. Still, the city remains beautiful and having it kind of empty is, is nice. But I liked that when I was coming out of clubs at 5am and walking home as the sun was coming up. Or, you know, I worked for a long time doing the very early breakfast show on the equivalent of uh, BBC World or Voice of America, for, um, RFI. And so uh, for years, you know, I'd have that really early morning taxi, you know, where the Eiffel Tower is still dark. So I used to see, you know, empty Paris. 
So that's quite nice. But I don't know. I think I don't know if people are resilient. I think they were very well behaved for Parisians in the first um, instance of the confinement and lockdown. Because Parisians are kind of grumpy and like, whatever, I cannot be bothered, you know. <laughs> but there they were like, um, yeah, I think they kind of made an effort generally. And at least, well, my area, I live in the north- northeast of Paris and I got hassled by police, you know, from to check my attestation and it was not necessarily pleasant. And I see most people wear masks, but then I hear stories of, you know, other quarters of Paris, which are a lot posher, or not necessarily where people don't care. But I think it's, yeah, I think it must have been really hard being a teenager, teenager to 25 year old in Paris right now. You know, yes, of course. You had this very kind of like hyper lifestyle and you had to go through this very boring year. Could you share with us a few tips of things that you've done to chin up and stay in the best possible mood? You said you love exercising and I think you do a lot of yoga. So what would you say was very, very helpful? To You can say it's binging on Netflix. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's quite funny because I'm rarely bored. Does that make sense? Being by myself, I wasn't bored. So I did a lot of things that I rekindled sort of I hadn't painted since I was about 18 and so I started painting again and uh, there is some uh, glorious and not so glorious things that came out of that but it was I found it very soothing and it was like a part of me that I'd reconnected with and I think that's a good thing that I need to continue doing and do more of I also began writing again which was something I really wanted to do and that was the best thing about it and I did a lot of yoga but yeah this time around I've been trying to keep the yoga up and doing it most days um, or at least you know four or five times a week just because it really helps uh, just to do something and even though I don't often don't want to do it when, once I've done it I feel a lot happier but and I did watch a lot of Netflix as well um, <laughs> but I did get quite depressed after about a month of binging um, TV and films and that's when I went into painting yeah <laughs> That's really great tips. Obviously, there's bound to be ups and down. But yeah, you're still working on that show, Encore, on France 24. And so what are the next plans? I mean, more Zoom interviews with artists or are you going to do some of this summary of the year? Are there some moments that would be memorable that got you through the year, you think, in, in the music journalism side of, of things? Yeah, unfortunately, it's still Zoom. I'm doing, I've got a show with a, a French pop star who's quite glamorous and interesting. Bilal Hassani is his name. But that's how what we've got to do with um, lockdown and the conditions of, um, you know, COVID-19 and so on. But I think we are preparing a special show for a roundup of the year, which I'm doing with Florence Villemino, who's the other girl who presents uh, the music show We Alternate. And I kind of have to kind of do a summary of what I like the best about this yeah. year. It's, it's going to be weird not having to mention any gigs that we particularly liked. Uh, and um, having footage of people all on Zoom and not, you know, in the studio with us. But I'm sure we'll we'll make something kind of fun because we always have fun doing that. Yeah, and I still think it's it's an interesting, you know, because I was a radio person for so long, and um, and TV and then live TV sort of is is very different because you've got limitations, but at the same time you've got more of an impact in some way because of image, um, which is strange. So I'm still kind of you know, getting used to that. But I love and I miss the intimacy of having a radio show of, you know, choosing tracks and, you know, having conversations like that. So, yeah. So hopefully I'll get to do more radio style stuff next year. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I wish for you as well. Great. Fantastic. Well, for me, I think 
I also want to big up all the artists who had the courage to come up with um, with music or, or albums this year because obviously the promo side is just so difficult. And so here in Bristol, we had, for instance, Idols released their album and they went straight to number one, including in physical copies, including in vinyls. So that's it's like, you know, what's driving the energy for others to keep on at it. So without, without shows like yours, it would be even more difficult. So well done. Yeah, I can't even imagine what it must have been like releasing a record. I know... Some artists have said they felt so isolated because they didn't have the tour element and where they normally talk and interact with people. I also noted that there are some pop stars who just went, you know, who exploded in terms of streams and sales and stuff. And yet they weren't necessarily never toured or whatever. There's like a 16 year old girl here in France called Wejden who's done really well out of the lockdown. So some people have been creative and and managed to do stuff, but I think it must be really hard. Um, I think it was... Rasheen Murphy I interviewed who said she she barely noticed the lockdown because she was you know living her little life and recording her record and uh, the promo is still fun but she said she was going to realize that when she didn't go off on tour which is like the normal lifespan of a record where you get to explore it on a different level uh, that's when she was really going to feel the pain of this 2020 lockdown. Yeah of course and I know some artists now for whom the touring part because they're in touch with the audience but also because they create a show that's a performance that has different elements and not only the music they couldn't release music without it it's just it didn't mean anything to them so we never in, in our shoes out first I with the first lockdown I thought oh yeah for artists it must be so much easier they have they used to get lost in their paintings or their music in the studio alone but actually for many of them without the goal of an event with other people and with creating what is the this physical movement for the stage and all they, they, they couldn't do it and it got completely lost the, the sense of why they were doing it so it's been a difficult year absolutely because there are artists that are just like recording us but there's a lot of them now you can only make money really from touring and I also shout you know a big shout out to anyone in the industry because you know they wouldn't be there without the the sound engineers the set designers um you know the people who hold venues and all these small venues that keep being you know impacted because of you know obviously no concerts and no events and I am very worried about their outcome and you know the cultural element but I think it will rebuild but it's just heartbreaking how many people have like had to take other jobs on in between and you know they're very skilled people and but that could happen to any of us and we're lucky to some extent I'm lucky that like I was able to still do some radio and tv despite the lockdown even though it's a number of projects I was hoping to work on this year fell through and and that was you know very stressful but I think I'm trying to you know accept it and be like okay enjoy this slow time and do your painting and go and write your other stuff but it's you know I'm saying this in a happy mood right now but you can catch me on another day maybe in half an hour I'll be like crying about it so yeah it's really hard yeah those musicians and artists have they've been really in my heart every day because here in the UK there's been very little financial support so I've interviewed a friend who's been able to earn money by giving guitar lessons over Zoom to children who really needed some sort of occupation so everyone was quite happy but it's really a difficult year we all hope that there will be a lot to look forward to for 2021 my, my special wish and I've talked about this with musicians is that we could focus on all local scenes and maybe instead of touring 
through travels, maybe have a lot of nights in the same city in smaller venues. Like Bristol is it's got no big venue and a lot of great small venues and they're all threatened at the moment. My dream would be to have like Port said coming back to do 10 nights in the small venues. I don't think they've heard my message, but yeah, I think we all need to support, including Paris, to support like the, the local events, the local people who have um, a form of uh, relationship, with strong relations with, with where they're from because touring far away might be super difficult because of, of the health problems and also climate change, etc. So hopefully we'll be able to rebuild this way in a communal way. That's, that's one of my wish. But if you have any other big plans for 2021, I wish you all the best. Thank you very, very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful end of the year. You too. Happy 2021 when it comes. What a great interview, Melissa. It was so nice to hear about how lockdown is faced in different countries. And, uh, you know, we, we only think about what's happening here, really, don't we? We only hear about that on the news. But to hear from Marjorie about how much stricter it is in France, I thought was fascinating. You know, I know her neighbourhood really well and I've spent some time there and I used to live in a very near, but I actually can't imagine how they went through all of this, especially what they call the attestation, this paper you have to sign to go out in the street, still going on now. Yes, and it's the same in it's the same in Italy as well, isn't it? Exactly, and it's it's really difficult. So yeah, it's it, we're all struggling now because it's been so long. So I think it's it's nice to hear from a different perspective and to kind of reopen our empathy and or you know caring for people for in, in in a different experience. So that's what we're trying to achieve. Okay, it's now time for our weekly roundup, and it's the last roundup of the year, Pommy. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Episode 28. So starting in Bristol, since we started this podcast way back in April, we have found many, many stories of people who've set up new businesses or found their creative side. And Jessica Hardy is no exception. She's a local dressmaker and costumier who trained at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School and then spent the next five years making costumes for theatre, television and film. But of course, when the pandemic hit and her existing work opportunities all dried up, Jessica decided to put her skills and long-standing passion for embroidery to work and launched a new clothing business called the Secret Embroidery Club. So what she does is sell hand-embroidered unisex sweatshirts, hats, socks, key rings and badges through Etsy, which is online, And all of the sweatshirts are made from Just Hoods, which use worldwide responsible, accredited production certified factories. She then embroiders each item with her own original designs. And they're really beautiful and they're very simple and and, and understated. And you can go on her website and have a look at them. And they're, they're, they're just gorgeous. She says she's been incredibly lucky to be able to transfer her skills as many colleagues fell through the funding gaps after lockdown began in March and had to find work in supermarkets or factories. Yeah, of course. That's really lucky. I think that's the thing I was thinking about a lot this year is like we absolutely need to find a new way to um, use our skills, whether online or in an old-fashioned, very crafty way. But so, you know, Jessica is an inspiration. For me, there's many uh, other pieces of good news in Bristol this week, but you know what? I wanted just to mention something. Did you know that some serious researchers have been working on a list of the UK most progressive cities? And the result was published this autumn, a few weeks ago. And guess which city came first? I can't imagine. 
Well, Bath, just near here. <gasps> Bath no. is the most progressive city in the UK, according to that survey and research. And Bristol came second. So it means that we live in the place in the country that is the most progressing, the most progressive in terms of recycling rates. So ecology or, you know, um, anything benefiting our environment, but also uh, gender pay gap and who's got the, you know, the smaller pay gap, basically. Also profusion of uh, vegetarian and vegan restaurants. That was one, one of the things that was mentioned in the study. Diversity, of course, and then also the strong voter turnout, which is one of the criteria of uh, progressiveness, according to that research. And our lovely cities were followed by places like Leicester, Cambridge, Exeter and Oxford. So we are like, and we're lucky to live around here. We are lucky, but I'm shocked that we are behind Bath in terms of being progressive. I find that almost impossible to believe. Yeah, well, that's bizarre, isn't it? So I think it's about this... Um, problem of recycling maybe it's easier to do it there and also bath apparently has one of the best scene in the world for vegetarian food so many restaurants there well i didn't know that i didn't know that i mean of course demuth used to be there didn't it that was a very famous beautiful vegetarian restaurant but there are many i have a lot of vegetarian friends who actually travel to bath not now but used to because they say they have more options. Where I'm like, well, I've, I've really lived in a place that has so many vegetarian options, like Bristol. But anyway, yeah, you can always go ahead. And also, I, I, I didn't think of that, but voters turn out, like, you know, citizens' participation to election is a, is a key part of such research. And I guess it it's obviously creates, like, this sort of harmonious way of living, right? If people express themselves through... Uh, local elections a lot, then, of course, the decisions reflect what they really want. So that's probably why. Also, it's a much smaller city, so maybe we shouldn't even compare the two. Moving on to the UK, this is, this is very exciting. 63 gold coins dating from the 15th and 16th century have been unearthed by a family in their garden in the New Forest. And they were among more than six thousand historical finds registered during the first lockdown. This is far more than usual because people have been working in their gardens and have been digging much more than usual. They've found all these these goals that's sitting underneath the earth. And I and I think, why have I not found any in my own back garden? But in these in this case, in the New Forest family's case, they're worth the equivalent of £14,000 in today's money and included four from Henry VIII's reign, featuring the initials of his wives, Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn and Jane Seymour. Isn't that amazing? They're likely to have been a merchant's hoard or hidden by a monastery or church during the dissolution. So, Melissa, if you're at a loose end, how about digging up your garden? Because you never know what might be buried there. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, there's a very, very small garden where I live. I might wait until it's less cold. But yeah, who thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> now, here in the UK as well, as Christmas looms, many companies across the country ha are finding creative ways to support charities this year. Because obviously you can imagine that demand is skyrocketing due to, to the pandemic. And almost 700,000 people have been plunged into poverty as a result of the covid fueled economic crisis. And that's according to a think tank called the Legatum Institute. And some are in need of state support or finding uh, themselves homeless. So charities report huge financial losses 
due to the closure of charity shops on one side and also the interruptions of crucial fundraising activities. So in response, these businesses that can afford are setting up their usual charity activities to, in order to help, in order to compensate. Um, for instance, the social enterprise called BIM surveyed um, 500 UK businesses owner and he found that just 20% of them are just ahead and going to have their real Christmas party this year. So they launched a Donate Your Christmas Party campaign. And that's to encourage companies to donate the money that they would have spent on a party to support homeless people. And the survey found that 17% of businesses are already planning to donate the Christmas party savings to a social cause. So isn't it fantastic? Like these businesses have had their worst year in forever and they're still, because they can't have the Christmas party to cheer themselves up, thinking of a good cause like helping the homeless. It's quite good news. That is a really, really good idea because uh, private companies, I think, probably spend a large amount of money on Christmas parties. So a lot of money will be going to charity that way. Yeah, and I think it's also, it's a good example for a lot of people. Like sometimes, you know, you think about offering presents to your family or, or asking for something for yourself, but actually Christmas is a time of giving and a lot of people, more and more people now, instead of asking for present or buying present, just give to charity for Christmas because that's the original Christian thing to do to support the one in need. Absolutely. So now, Melissa, it's my turn this week <laughs> for animal stories. And guess what? A little pygmy possum has been found on an Australian island for the very first time since the bushfires destroyed almost half the bushland on Australia's Kangaroo Island last summer and devastated the animal habitats as it roared through. The ecologists were, were, were really worried that the island's population of little pygmy possums, which weigh about six or seven grams and can sit on your thumb, the world's smallest possum species, they were worried they'd been wiped out. But this discovery has given them hope. And staying with the theme of little animals, in southern India, a team of 50 people helped rescue a male elephant which had fallen down a deep well. Local villagers dropped banana leaves down for the elephant to eat as the rescue dragged on through the night. And 14 hours later, the elephant was brought to the surface upside down using cranes and belts to lift it to safety. Isn't that amazing? Wow, I guess they couldn't put that one on their thumb. <laughs> no, from one extreme to the other, isn't it, in size? Oh, wonderful. It always gives us hope. Even if it's just one animal, I always feel better when I hear good news about animals. And last but not least, good news in Portugal as well. In the capital, Lisbon, if you've been there, you'll have to recognise how amazingly beautiful it is. With the end of travels and almost no tourism due to, to the pandemic, people have started transforming tourist flat into real homes. And that was a big problem in, in Portugal. Like the, the centre of the city was becoming just like... Um, a tourist trap and getting a lot of people to move out. But now the richest landlords have the options of renting their empty properties to the city for a minimum of five years for the council to provide reasonably priced accommodation on the longer terms. So as I said, Lisbon city centre has been known for having been totally, almost totally emptied out of its character by houses and flats, neatly refurbished for just short stays and wealthy tourists chasing away the local inhabitants. 
Now, of course, um, the city uh, plans to cover for that. And if I quote the mayor of Lisbon, he said, in a certain sense, COVID has created an opportunity and the virus didn't ask us for permission to come in, but we have the ability to use this time to think and to see how we can move in a direction to correct things and put them in the right track. I love that. I love that because that's that's it's it's such a dilemma, isn't it? How do you encourage tourism without destroying the local community? The Cornish are, are, are facing this all the time. They're facing it right now. They don't want people to come and bring COVID, but they need the tourism to provide some income. Yeah, and the, you know, at the cost of the. A natural living of there. So there's a lot of European cities like Barcelona or Berlin that had this problem with like um, inner cities losing their real inhabitants for just um, tourists. And so they were completely empty now. So I think it's a right correction there. So to finish off, Melissa, what do we have? Well, we have some music as always. And I think I asked you, Pommy, if there was maybe one song that we had featured this year that matched to you. Which one would it be? And what did you pick? I came up with Stay Homers. Do you remember Stay Homers? They were the four friends who were locked down together in Barcelona. Each of them a musician, but they didn't usually play together. And they were in the same flat. They wrote and released a song every couple of days during the lockdown in, in Spain. And they recorded each one on their balcony in the sunshine. And you can watch the whole lot on YouTube. But my favourite is this one. It's called Gotta Be Patient. And it features on the phone Judith Naderman. She's, uh, they, they get the phone out and she sings on the phone. And they released it. I don't think we realised this when we first put it out, but they released it on the 23rd of March, which was the day we went into lockdown here. And they had already been in lockdown for six weeks by then. It's called Gotta Be Patient, Pommy. So they told us right there in the end of March to be patient. And now we've been doing this for nine months. So that was pretty good advice, wasn't it? I just want to see my friends. I want to walk the streets again. But I gotta be patient. Let's enjoy this combination. I just want to feel your love. Because Instagram is not enough for me. But I gotta be patient Let's enjoy this confination But every day we'll sing a song To make you dance Until this end I wanna see my friends I wanna walk the streets again Again, again But I gotta be patient Let's enjoy this combination. Si, tens ganas de sortir. Ho sento, però no pots. T'hauràs de quedar dins. That's it for the quarantine this week. We'll be back next year with a new cocktail of ideas, music and positive news for you all next year can you believe it so i think it's a good time to listen again and write to us we'd love to hear from you you can get hold of us for instance by emailing us at the quarantini podcast at gmail.com and we're also on facebook twitter and instagram and don't forget we're going to be bringing out a bonus french episode just 
around Christmas and the New Year. Pommy and I are just going to summarise the year in French for you. This episode so far was hosted by me, Melissa Shimam. And was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. Thank you for listening. And stay safe. I gotta be patient. Let's enjoy this confination.